So, I'm going to be bringing the word tonight. <laughs> Thank you. And I am going to be sharing a Christmas message. <laughs> Bren is coming in clutch so for us. So for all of you who've been holding out and holding your breath, here you go. I'm going to bring it tonight for us. So, um, No, you know, one time I remember, I, some of you guys may remember. Do you remember the, the Christmas season that Brian preached on the end times? How many of you remember that? Anybody? A few? <laughs> yeah. So you just never know, but we just love Brian and, and the word of the Lord that comes forth from him. And very thankful for him and grateful for him. He's such a blessing, and, and he does carry the word of the Lord, not only for this house, but for America. So, so we're thankful. Amen. So you got me tonight, but it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. So if you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to get into it. And uh, this first passage of Scripture, we're going to do a little bit of reading, but that's good. We're going to read the Christmas story, all right? So let's, let's dive into it. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Here we go. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense or the hour of intercession. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers, your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old, an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, 
which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We're going to stop there. Isn't that awesome? What a story. What a story. And here we have the angel Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, going to two different people in this time and in this season. And what's interesting is their circumstances in many ways were similar, but in many ways different, you know. But one thing is for sure, they had different answers that they gave to the Lord in response to what the angel was bringing them. And we just want to take a look at that a little bit. Because Zechariah, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, had been barren. And the angel came and said, your prayer is heard. So at some point in time, Zacharias was praying that his wife would bear a child. But because of the way that he answered, he had stopped praying that prayer a long time ago, hadn't he? He'd stopped praying that prayer, but it wasn't, it hadn't ended. His prayer was heard in heaven. And the Lord came to answer that prayer that he stopped praying. But his, his, question, or his response to the angel coming and saying, your wife's going to have a baby, was this. How shall I know this? Now, let me tell you something. 
if, if an angel came to you when you're in the temple of the Lord burning incense before him and an angel comes and tells you something, that's your confirmation it's going to happen. You don't need anything else. <laughs> you don't need to say, how am I going to know this? You should know <laughs> that it's going to happen. Amen? So, so there was an unbelief in Zacharias. He had an unbelief. He had stopped praying that prayer. He thought that time had passed in his life, that season had passed, and he'd stopped praying it. And so unbelief had set in. And, and the angel was upset about it, you know? I mean, the angel started saying, Gabriel, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> Hello, I'm coming to you from the presence of God, you know? And, but he, he had this disbelief, and because of it, Gabriel said, because you didn't believe, you will be mute. Let me read it. You will be mute, in verse 20, and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Because sometimes God's timing is in our timing, is it? And so, so here this is. Zacharias, because of his unbelief, he became mute. And, you know, that's what happens to us when, when we don't believe the word of the Lord. It takes us out of the place to be able to declare what God is doing or about ready to do. It takes, we take ourselves out of the place to be able to proclaim that and declare that and herald it to this generation. And that's what happened to Zacharias. Could you imagine, you know, being in the place that they were and her and Elizabeth, you know, conceiving and having a baby inside of him and he's not even able to express any of it. He can't express any joy whatsoever of what God is doing all the way until it's already been fulfilled. And then he can. But God is gracious. You know, this was a righteous man. This was a, a holy man before God. He found, they found favor in God's sight. You know, and that's the grace of God. But that's what that does in our lives. It takes us out of being able to speak forth what God is doing in this hour, in this season of opportunity. And so we need to be careful of that. Now, Mary, Mary, you know, at least with Zacharias and Elizabeth, you know, there was, the odds were slim, but at least there were odds for them to have a baby, right? But now with Mary, there wasn't any possibility that she could have a baby being a virgin and not having a husband yet. Well, she did have a husband, but they had not been intimate yet. And so, so the angel Gabriel comes to her, but her, her answer, or really it was a question, just like Zacharias had a question, how shall I know this? Hers was a little bit different. And she had a question, and it's okay to have questions. But this was her question. How will this be? How will this be? Mary wondered. She, she believed that God was going to do it. 
She believed that God would do it. She believed Gabriel coming to her. But the question was, how's it going to happen? How is this going to happen in my life when it seems so impossible? You know, how, how will these things come to pass in my life that God has said? How's it going to happen? And maybe some of us have had those questions before to the Lord. How are these things that God has spoken over me come to pass? And it might not even be an angel that came to you. Maybe it's just things that are written in the word of God. And you say, how in the world am I ever going to get to that point in my life? How am I ever going to be perfect as God is perfect? How am I ever going to be a good father? How am I ever going to be a good mother? You know, how am I ever going to, you know, achieve that goal that, that God's put in my heart to achieve? We all have those questions. But the Lord answered Mary. The Lord answered Mary in her question. And it's in verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We're just going to stop right there for a minute. <laughs> we don't even need to go further. <laughs> we will. We will go further. But we're just going to stop right there. The Holy Spirit. This is your answer. This was Mary's answer, and this is your answer. The Holy Spirit. That's how God is going to do the impossible in your life. That's how God is going to do what you cannot do on your own, the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the one that births and brings life. Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Verse 2, it says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't come when, when everything's grandiose and fine and dandy and everybody's happy, you know, to make an appearance and look good. The Holy Spirit comes when things are without form, when things are void, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes when darkness is around. That's when the Holy Spirit shows up because the Holy Spirit's not afraid. The Holy Spirit's not afraid, and the Holy Spirit can bring life into anything. When things are impossible, when things are void, when things look hopeless, when it doesn't look like anything could happen in a situation, that's when the Holy Spirit shows up and does something and brings forth something that is miraculous. Amen? That's what the Lord does. Psalm 104, verse 30 says, You send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. See, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings forth life. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives birth to things. Jeremiah 
1, verse 12, it says, God says this. He says, I watch over my word to perform it. So just like in the beginning, it said that the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters, right? The Holy Spirit hovers over. And in, in this scripture, in Jeremiah, he's saying, I'm watching over my word to perform it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he watches over. He tends over what, what God has said that he is going to do. He watches over his word in all of us. And that's why it was good that Jesus said, it's good that I'm going because the Holy Spirit's going to come. Can you believe that? I mean, we think, oh, my gosh, it's so sad. Jesus left. No, Jesus said, it's good I'm going because you don't want Big Brother right now. You want the Holy Spirit that's going to birth in you, that's going to nurture you, that's going to comfort you, that's going to counsel you and bring forth life in you. That's what you need right now. You don't need Big Brother. Soon you're going you're gonna to need your bridegroom. But right now, you need the Holy Spirit, Right? Let's stop being sad. We got what we need right now. <laughs> so this is what the Holy Spirit does in all of us. See, this is a pattern. This is a pattern of what the Holy Spirit does. Okay? And this is what you need to learn and understand is that, that Gabriel is not just talking to Mary. Gabriel, Gabriel is showing a pattern of what the Holy Spirit does in all of us. So let's read it again. Verse 30, 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So what the Holy Spirit does in all of us is the Holy Spirit comes upon us, overshadows us, watches over us, and forms Christ within us. The Holy Spirit forms Christ within us. The Holy Spirit does the work, and we just have to yield and we just have to be like Mary that says, be it unto me according to your word. That's the yielding. Be it unto me according to your word. This is what the Lord does. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, here we go, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Once again, it's the Spirit of the Lord. And so here we are, here we were tonight, talking about the Holy Spirit being among us and us saying how much we love, it, love your presence, Lord. And you're here, Holy Spirit, have your way, do what you want. Do what you want in us, and this is what the Holy Spirit's doing. And what we, what we are, have here and what we're trying to foster here, you know, with his presence and with his glory, is, it's very important. It's very important. 
because this is the, how the Holy Spirit can move and do the work in us that the Holy Spirit desires to do. And ultimately, this is just training ground for you. What we're doing here is just, we're just, we're just equipping you <laughs> to go out and to do the same thing in your homes. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To go into your homes and let them be the little sanctuaries before the Lord where his presence and his glory rests and abides. That's what we're teaching and training you to do. Every day being in his presence and being in his glory is what it's all about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So now we're going to go over to Matthew. And we talked about Mary. Zach talked about Zacharias. Now we're going to talk about Joseph for a little bit. Joseph. You know, sometimes it seems like Mary gets all the, all the accolades, you know. <laughs> oh, Mary, you know. And then Joseph, you know, yeah, Joseph or the husband, <laughs> you know. But God chose Joseph just as much, if not more, than he chose Mary. Seriously. <laughs> God chose Joseph just as much, if not more, than Mary. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 1. Now, we're not going to read as much as we did in Luke, but I just want to highlight just a few scriptures here so that we can go where we're going tonight. Matthew 1, let's start in verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Then it goes on. We're going to hit verse 6. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. All right, so we're going down the lineage of Jesus. We've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got... We've got David and Solomon, and then it goes down through all the kings of Judah. All right, now we're going to hit 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. All right, so in Scripture, you find out that, that Jesus made, or that God made a promise to David. God said, from your seed is going to be a kingdom that's going to last forever, and it will have no end. And there will be a king that will be king forever from his lineage, from David's lineage, okay? There is also prophecies that it would be from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this Messiah that was coming, the Savior of the world. So, so all of this goes to, all of the lineage goes all the way to Jacob, to Jacob, or to, from Jacob, and then begot Joseph, right? So it goes to Joseph being in the lineage of David, not Mary. Mary wasn't in the lineage of David. If, if probably, this is my thinking and seeing of it, Mary probably could have been a Levite because she was related to Elizabeth, and it says Elizabeth was a Levite, a descendant of Aaron, all right? So she could have been a Levite, 
I don't know. That's just my speculation, but I think it's a good one, right? A Levite and a tribe of Judah? Come on. You know, <laughs> I think that's something God would do. But, but we've got this, and the lineage was through Joseph. It wasn't through Mary. Going down from David. So Mary, without Joseph, would have never carried the Son of God if she had not been in covenant with Joseph and that genealogy. She, she, would, have never, she would have never carried the Son of God. I'm sure she was great. <laughs> I'm sure she was chosen by God to do it. But, but she would have never done it had she had not been in, in covenant with that genealogy. It would have never happened. So, so Joseph is very important in this scripture. Joseph is very important in this story and in the story of God and what God was doing. She needed that genealogy, and she needed covenant with it to be one with it, all right? We're going to talk a little bit about covenant in a little bit, but God loves, and he always honors covenant. He always honors covenant. If you go back to Abraham and Sarah, all the way back to there, Abraham the same thing was going on, right? Sarah was barren. She wasn't having kids. So she came up with this great idea, not so great idea, to, you know, give Abraham her maidservant so that she could have a baby, you know, all of that. And Ishmael was, was created, right? 13 years. Ishmael was 13 years old before Abraham realized that God did not accept Ishmael as the promised son. Could you imagine going that long, thinking that this was a promise of God, and God comes to you and says, nope, I haven't accepted that. And why? Because Abraham made it clear, it's with Sarah, your wife, the one you are in covenant with that I am going to bring forth this seed. God honors covenant. He honors it. And he honored it in the story of Jesus' birth with Joseph and Mary. He honored the covenant. Now let me explain a little bit about the way that marriage and engagement worked in Jesus' time in this area. All right, so... During this time, there was actually two ceremonies, all right, that happened that would take place, not just one of a wedding, but there was first a ceremony of engagement, what we would call engagement or betrothal, all right? So there was an actual ceremony for that, and usually the, the man's father would initiate and, and begin this act, you know, and, and go to the parents of the female and tell them that what their intentions are and everything, and they would have a ceremony. And the ceremony would consist of a few different things. One was a bride's price. So the, the, the man had to come with a bride's price and pay for the bride. 
All right, that was part of this betrothal ceremony. Another part was an agreement or a contract saying that they were coming into covenant with one another. And another to, to like seal the deal was a cup. And it was a cup that they would drink together. And that pretty much was sealing the deal saying, we're both in agreement to this. We both re received this and, and this is what's happening. Now in, in this time, the betrothal was as if you were married. If, if you decided you didn't want to be married to that person, you would have to get a divorce at this time. You just didn't part ways. You actually had to get a divorce. They were considered married in all ways except for intimacy. That's, that's the only way that they weren't considered married yet. And so here we are, Mary and Joseph. This is where they're at in their story. They have been betrothed. They are considered married. That's why it says in Scripture, if you remember, that Joseph, when he found out Mary was pregnant and the Lord hadn't come to him yet to tell him what was going on, that, that he was considering putting her away quietly. That meant a quiet divorce. Because there's only two ways. If a woman had a baby, not with the person that she was married to, there's only two things you could do. You could put her away quietly, or you could stone her. <laughs> One of the two. So Joseph was thinking about putting her away quietly to respect her and her family. And so, so here they are. They're at this point. So they are in covenant with one another, but they haven't been together yet intimately. And so this is the perfect the perfect scenario for the prophecies to come to pass. She's a virgin, right? But she's in covenant with that genealogy that makes Jesus be able to be in the genealogy of David, all right? Now, it does say that Joseph, once the Lord came to him and 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 revealed to him what was going on, and he chose, what did he choose? He choose, chose to keep Mary as his wife. They were together intimately until Jesus was born. But, but also, he chose to take Jesus as his own son. He took ownership of Jesus and adopted Jesus as his own Man, a man had to adopt Jesus, just like the heavenly Father adopts us. That is how much God loves and honors covenant. That's how much he sees covenant. That the genealogy, because some people, you know, I mean, if they were particular, you know, and nitpicky, oh, he wasn't from the genealogy because, you know, Joseph really wasn't his dad. No, no. Adoption, that's how God sees adoption. Do you understand that? Yeah. And because he sees adoption like that, that's how he sees you. That's how he sees you. As much as Joseph took Jesus as his own to be in the lineage of David, 
God has taken you as his son and daughter into his own lineage. That's the power of it. That's how God sees you. Let that soak in. Let that soak in tonight. So, so God needed both Mary and Joseph, right? He needed both of them. And he, he needed them working together. He needed them working together. Let me tell you something. When God is doing something, I want to talk to husbands and wives for a while. And all you single folk, it's for you too, okay? If you're believing to get married one day. If not, pray for them while I'm talking about it. But, but that's how God, God wants there to be. God wants husbands and wives to carry the deposit of the Holy Spirit in them together. Just as they carried and they took steward, they stewarded over Jesus together. That's how God wants husbands and wives to come along together and steward the deposit that he has placed in them. He wants that. And so if something is going on in your spouse, you are to never get jealous of it. Never. Because that is yours as well. Because you are one. God sees you as one. And that is yours as well. When I was young, I learned this when I was a young wife and a young mom. And during those times, you know, we were traveling on the road. We had Light the Fire Ministries, and we were traveling all over the world. Well, yeah, all over America, sometimes the world. But, but there were times, especially when I had kids, that I couldn't go with Brian because I had to stay back with the kids, you know. And I had the opportunity to get upset about that when he was at these revival meetings, you know, and, and getting hands laid on him and getting prophesied over and all of this stuff, you know, I, I had the opportunity to get upset and get jealous or to, you know, whatever, be envious of it. But the Lord revealed to me that that is just as much mine. Whatever is going on is just as much mine as it is his. And, and when I began to see it that way, everything changed. So we can never be jealous of somebody. We can never be jealous of our spouse when something's going on in their lives because it is, it is for you as well. It's what, what God is doing in the both of you. You know, Joseph didn't get jealous because Mary was carrying a baby, you know, the son of God. He took ownership of it. That's what he did. And he walked it out with her. And she needed him because it was just as much his promise and what he was supposed to carry and steward over as it was her. Just as much. And when we need to remember that as husband and wife, we also need to be careful when a spouse hears something from the Lord before the other spouse hears something from the Lord. And we can't get prideful 
we can't get prideful in it and say, I told you so, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> we can't get that way. We can't, we can't get prideful when, when we think we hear something first from God and the other person hasn't heard it yet. There's a reason and there's a purpose. Again, Mary needed Joseph. She needed that genealogy. Joseph was just important as Mary. Why did God go to Mary first? I don't know. Maybe because she was going to have the baby, <laughs> you know. But, but that's the way the story was. And so we can't, we can't get prideful. We can't get in some, oh, I'm super spiritual. I'm more spiritual than you or whatever. Come on. This happens. You know, we can't, we can't act that way when God is doing something holy. Brian and I always do things out of agreement. We always do things in agreement. We, we, you know, we try very hard not to make decisions out of agreement. And the Lord is always good and gracious because that's our commitment. And so if he feels something or if I feel something and the other person hasn't felt that yet or feel the go on that, we wait and we pray and we seek the Lord until we both come into agreement of what is right and what is, what is the Lord saying. And it's important. It's important. God cares about this kind of stuff. So, even though Mary was carrying baby Jesus in her womb, Joseph had, was leading. God still used Joseph to lead. It wasn't, oh, Mary, Mary's got all the manifestations. <laughs> Mary's got all this going on in her life, you know, and, and Mary's hearing from God. No, they both heard from God. They both did. First by the angel coming, but then God used Joseph to lead them through the dreams that Joseph had to keep them from harm, to lead them. Why? Because that was Joseph's call and anointing in that family. Just as every man's call and anointing in the family is to lead. All right? So we have to remember that. And we have to get this right in our marriages and in our homes. We have to steward this right. That God will do things together. And that God will do things in both of you. It's not just one. It's not just the other. It's together. God is wanting to show that within the bride, within a husband and wife. Why? Because it shows the world how it works and functions with God, with Jesus and his bride. That's why. Think about that. There, we're, we're being, our marriage is supposed to be prophetic. Our marriage is supposed to be prophetic of what Christ and his bride is supposed to look like. All right, think about that. It is. All right, you, you think about the Levites and all the priests. Their whole life was living out a prophetic sign of something greater, wasn't it? Think about that. Every priest lived out their whole life, everything they did, day in and day out, living and working in the temple, they were prophetically living out something that was greater, a greater revelation than that. That's what we do as husbands and wives. 
we prophetically live out a greater revelation of Christ and his bride. Amen. Let's do it well. Amen. Amen. All right. We're doing pretty good. What time is it? Is it? Quarter till? Quarter to eight. Oh, I'm doing great. Okay. <laughs> I got plenty of time. <laughs> no, I don't know if I'll go as long as, as Brian, but hmm, let me think here now. <laughs> um, yeah, that's exciting. I'm just thinking through this. All right. So I'm wondering if I should go a little deeper there. <laughs> you know, we have systems in this day that are really messed up. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> you know, I mean, look at health care. That system is really messed up. Look at education, our education system. That system is really messed up. You know, you can go down the list. Financial system, totally jacked up, you know. And Brian's already talked about what jack means in the Hebrew, so I won't go there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, every system is really messed up. And what God is doing, he's not only, he's not only having to deal with us and, you know, and this and our flesh and our, you know, minds that need renewed and all of those different things. But, but he's, what he's desiring is for us to, for these systems to be transformed, right? Because that causes a lot of problems. I mean, if you think of the healthcare system alone, you know, and if, for me, when you look at the seven mountains, those of you who understand the seven mountains, I don't want to go on that tonight, but, but when you look at the seven mountains, I believe healthcare is under education because it's all about knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And, and that's what's going on in the healthcare system. People are perishing because of a lack of knowledge and understanding that's going on in the healthcare system. All right, so, so just that alone, this is a cause of, of people who their, their lives, it's a system that keeps them unhealthy. It's a system that keeps them not whole, not healed, all right? And unless God divinely intervenes in a person's life, that system's not going to heal them. And, and get them to a place where they can be healed. And so, so you know, in Jesus' time, God pretty much had told the people of Israel, you know, this is how you're going to eat. This is how you're going to do these types of things, okay? So, so when Jesus would heal people, yeah, it said he healed people who had headaches. You know, he healed people who had fevers. We don't know what the those were necessarily or what was going on in their bodies. But most of the healings that Jesus did in those times, they were, they were healings that were like accidents or they were born with this, 
defect or these types of things, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't the symptoms that we have today. And some of the symptoms and the diseases that we have today are actually very, be, because of the healthcare system, I know, I'm, I know I'm going somewhere and I hope you're following me, but because of the healthcare, because of the system that we're in, because of that system, it keeps people in sickness and bondage, where if they knew the truth, if they had truth, not just a supernatural healing, but just truth, they could be healed, all right? So, so there's a whole bunch of systems like that in the world, and that we're in, and that we're under, and so God is calling us out of those types of systems as well, and So, I just really feel that the Lord wants to encourage men tonight. The Lord wants to encourage men who they are in God, who they are in Him. They are called to be a provider. They are called to bring identity. They are called to, to save. They're called to save. They're called to protect. Each man in here, I know I don't know what all is going on with the lights. It's okay. I know it can be a distraction. I think a little baby got back there, and that's how it first happened. And so now we're trying to figure it all out. But, um, but... I just want to encourage the men because, because God wants you to lean on him to fulfill those areas of your life that he's called you to be. All right? God wants you to lean on him to fulfill every one of those areas. Because some, sometimes, you know, in marriages or, or whatever, you can have a certain personality, but if God's called you to be something and that might not be the bent of your personality, there's an anointing in God that you can walk in to allow you to function in that the way God wants you to function in it. All right? So, so I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I usually don't, I usually talk to Brian about these kinds of things, but I really feel like the Holy Spirit's pressing me to say it, so that's why I'm a little hesitant. But, but I feel like, and this is, again, this isn't to judge or condemn, and, and every single person has to take this home with them and weigh it out and wrestle with it before the Holy Spirit for themselves in their own lives because it looks different for everybody. It's not just a cookie-cutter way. Though cookie cutter is, you're called to provide, you're called to lead, you're called to, to, be, an, to be, be the one that gives identity into your children's lives. You know, you're called to, to, to wash your wife with the water of the word. There's things that you're called to do, okay? But it looks different in everybody, in all the men, okay? So... This is part of the system that I'm talking about, okay? And this is part of the financial system. Because our financial system, 
I know I'm getting away from the Christmas story, but it's okay. We'll get back to it. Brian did. I can. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so this has to do with the financial system because the financial system has gotten us into debt. It's gotten us dependent on, you know, these companies that, that, you know, just want you in debt. And so a lot of people think that, that you can't live without being in debt. That's what a lot of people believe now, you know, that you can't, you can't live without being in debt. That's crazy. You can't get a house without being in debt. You can't get a car without being in debt. You know, and, and I'm not saying anything bad if anybody's been in debt before or is in debt now. Brian and I have been in debt before. <laughs> Thank God we're not right now. But, but the point is, is that it's a system, all right? And you're born into the system. And here you are, you're in it, <laughs> you know? And, and God is teaching all of us at different ways, different times in our lives, different levels, how to get out of these systems, right? To live free. Dave Ramsey is amazing. You know, he's a gift to the body of Christ. Dave Ramsey. You guys all know who Dave Ramsey is? You know, people like that, they're a gift to the body of Christ because he's teaching people how to get out of that system, that worldly system. Okay? And so, you know, so, but here's something that this system has created, I believe. And that is that we have developed a system that says you need two incomes to survive. You know? You need two incomes to survive. And it's taken, all right, I know, I know there's a lot of different opinions about, about women. And I'm not saying women shouldn't work. I work at the church, okay? So, so hear me through. And again, don't pinpoint it. I'm not pinpointing something. I'm just talking, and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to use it to speak to you as an individual, okay? So, so but, that is, but that is the understanding in our culture. Oh, you can't, you can't survive. You got it. You can only survive on two incomes, you know, coming in. But what it has done in our culture as a whole, it has taken the woman out of the place in many ways that she is called to be for her husband and for her family, all right? That's why we see a breakdown in families right now, okay? The education system, in some ways, did the same thing. They said, hey, we're going to make education free. Isn't that easy for you? Well, yeah, it, it was easy, you know, and it made moms going to work easier so that income, house, household incomes could go up in the home and you know, they could get nicer cars and nicer houses and provide things for their kids. And, and here comes the system. You know, here comes this, this whole thing, okay? Now, all I'm saying is that Proverbs 31, okay? There, I believe that in all of that, okay, there is things that are going on where, where because of it, because of the big system, that God is, that P, 
people have put their trust in, in other things besides God giving you the ability to provide, just like education, you know. Instead of, okay, I don't think that education's right for my kid. I want to train up my kid in the, a different way, but that's free, and so that's a lot easier, <laughs> you know. That, that's convenient, or that helps me in other areas of my life right now to where, what are you trusting in? Does that make sense? There's, you know, women are called to be a helpmate to their husband, and that word helpmate, that word helpmate in scripture is actually a word that refers to God and other scriptures in the Old Testament. Okay, so the scripture, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, right? My help comes from the Lord. Lord, that same word help is the same word that that was used as to describe woman as a helpmate, okay? So women are supposed to be helpmates to a man. Women are supposed to. But I feel like that sometimes there are, men are frustrated because they, they, they are trying to accomplish something they maybe they don't have a vision and maybe that's where your frustration is coming from some men or or maybe you have a vision but you don't know how to get to it and and God is saying that you need to take your trust out of a woman that's providing helping you provide and look to God to help you to provide so that all of these other areas in your life will line up better that's all I'm saying okay now, now, that's hard to say because, again, I'm not putting judgment on anybody because we were all born in the systems. And it's God's way of however he wants to get you out of it, you know, and however he wants to point you. And, and I'm not saying that God doesn't use women in business and all of those things because he does. I believe all of that. So, but, but what I'm saying is that we have to know where our trust really is. Where is our trust really at? Who are we trusting in? If we trust in the government, whoever is your provider is going to end up being your Lord. You know? And so, so who are we trusting in? That's all, that's all I'm saying, and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to just take that and to, to use it in people's lives however he sees fit, okay? But I feel like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say it, all right? So if you want to talk about it later, sure, I'll talk to you about it. But, but I don't know why, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to, to share that and just to plant those little seeds for God to work and to move in people's lives. Because ultimately, it's about you fulfilling your destiny, your, your, you as a husband and wife fulfilling your destiny, your family, you know, this church. It's, a, it's about you becoming who God has called you to be. It's about you walking in the fullness of what God has for you. 
That's what it's about. And that's what God wants. And so let the Holy Spirit use it and do whatever, whatever he wants with it. So, all right. So we're going to go back to the nativity. <laughs> Let's go back to Christmas, everybody. You happy? <laughs> Let's go back to Christmas. All right. So, so we've talked about Mary. We've talked about Zacharias. We've talked about Joseph. We've talked about how, how God needed Mary and Joseph, and he needed that covenant together. So now I want to go to John chapter 14. And so John chapter 14 is about Jesus coming into the last moments of him being on the earth. And this is, this is the Passover Jesus died during the Passover because he was the Passover lamb. He died during the Passover. But before he, he died, he had the Seder meal, the Passover meal with his disciples. And so, so this took place. He, they had the Passover meal. And then Jesus, Jesus during the Passover meal, during this meal with his disciples is where we come up with our communion that we're going to take together in just a little bit. All right, so communion, it's our pass, it's our, it's our, the meal that we take with the Lord. So Jesus was having this meal. He instituted communion during this time. He took the cup. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took the bread. Then he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, right? So, so he did that. And then he says this during all of this supper as well. John 14, let's read verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, what I didn't explain earlier was during the betrothal time, during Jesus' time, when, when, when a man and a woman were betrothed, and they would have that betrothal ceremony, what would happen then is the man would go away. And he would go back to his father's house. And he would begin to build a chamber or a room or rooms for him and his wife to live in. And it usually would take a year, what it says as you read about it. Usually it would be within a year. But actually, it wasn't up to the bridegroom to decide when he was ready to go get his bride. It was up to the bridegroom's father to decide when it was all ready because the bridegroom's father was overseeing all the preparations and he was overseeing it and, and making sure it was all ready and then one day he would say to the bridegroom, it's ready, it's ready, go get your bride. That's how it would happen. And so then the bridegroom would There'd be a great announcement. All the groomsmen would hear, and, and they'd go through the streets. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Behold, the bride, 
bridegroom cometh. And the bride had to, like, have all of her preparations ready. So, because it was a surprise. You know, she may have understood, okay, it's coming up. It's got to be coming up soon. You know, a season of time. But she never knew exactly when the bridegroom was going to come and get her. So, she always had to have her dress ready. You know, she, she had to have every preparation ready so that when she heard it, she could immediately get ready and get into that dress and look beautiful. All right? So, so that's, that's how it happened. And then he would get her and bring her to the father's house where they would have the second ceremony and they would consummate their marriage. Okay? So, so here is Jesus. And he says, in my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. Some translations say rooms, although mansions is pretty good. (laughs) If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So... During this time, here he, he, he gave them the cup, or he gave them the bread. He gave them the cup during the supper, and he talked about it, and he told them what this was. But then he says this, and those apostles knew the reference that he was making. It was the same reference of a bride and a bridegroom, of the tradition during that time of how a marriage happened, a betrothal happened. And at that moment in time, Jesus was instituting the bride of Christ, his covenant to the bride of Christ. He was showing them a revelation of what the church would be to him. He was showing them at that moment and instituting his covenant to the bride of Christ. All right? Now, if you remember, so so again, it's happening during Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? Jesus, what he did as the Passover lamb was the bride price, right? He paid for his bride by what he did, by giving his body broken for us. And then he made a covenant with his blood. He said, this is a new covenant. He took the cup and he said, this is a new co- the new covenant of my blood. And so Jesus, just like at the betrothal, at the betrothal, they would take the cup, wouldn't they? And they would drink it together, signifying their commitment to one another and their agreement as husband and wife. And so Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the covenant. And you know in scripture that every covenant always has to do with blood, right? There's always blood involved in every covenant, and, and even, even between a husband and a wife, there is blood at the consummation. God created our bodies that way, that even because he sees the value of that covenant, 
that he created our bodies, that we would be able to bring forth blood for the covenant. That's how much he, he values the covenant of marriage. That's how much he values it. And so, so here we are. He says this is the cup of a new covenant. And then, then he says, I'm going away. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so during a betrothal, all of that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, an regular engagement. They were considered married in all ways, except that of in, which leads to having babies. So they were considered married. And so what that hat was was a guarantee for this woman, the bride. It was a guarantee. This, this covenant that was made was a guarantee that he's going away, but you can be sure we're married. So he's coming back. We already made the, he already paid the price to have me. He ain't going to, you know. So, so it was that. And so Jesus was giving us in this moment the guarantee of him coming back for us. He was giving us the guarantee of it. And so Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As often as you do this, you declare my death until I come. And Jesus also said, I'm not going to partake of this until all of this is fulfilled. You know, Jesus is on a fast. He's on a partial fast. He's not going to take that, the cup and the bread, again until he is with us again. Isn't that beautiful? But he wants us to take it so that we remember he's coming back and his covenant with us and his love for us. And as we take that communion, as we take the bread and the cup, we are declaring that we are his bride. We are declaring that he paid for us. We are declaring our commitment and the covenant that we've made with the Lord also. That's what it's about. Isn't that beautiful? All in the Christmas story, right? <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, Cody, can you come? And if, yeah, thank you, Philip. You can bring that over. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to, so we're going to take this communion together tonight. You know, we've been taking it every service that we've had in December. We've been taking communion, and we're going to continue that throughout this month. We're going to take this. So why don't you all stand? Before you come up, just stand. And I want to read about this, the Lord's Supper, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
starting in verse 23, and I just want to read it over you, and just, I just want you to listen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For who, who, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. I'd like you all to just begin to come, and you can come and get the get the bread and the cup together. Husbands and wives, I'd love for you to be together.
and we break it. And we say, Father, thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for the bride price that you paid for us to be your bride, to be sons and daughters of the Most High, to be a part of your family, Lord. And we take it now in remembrance of all that you did. for the cup that you drank, Lord, pouring out your blood for us, giving of yourself, Lord, that we might be saved, we might be made whole. We thank you for the price, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice. And as we take this cup, Lord, we do it as a sign unto you of our commitment, of our consecration to you, that we will have no other lovers, but you will be our Lord and our Savior, and you are our bridegroom. You are the one that we desire, and you are the one that we seek to please in every way. We lift up the cup unto you, and we remember
He is so good. He is so good. He's everything. He's everything. As you make your way back to your seats, I'd like to call up the altar team for prayer tonight. If you would like prayer for anything tonight, you'd like someone to pray with you, agree with you, our altar team is going to be up here and you can come up and receive prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's been a good night. I just pray that you're blessed as you go home. I pray that the Holy Spirit just continues to to minister to you, to give you revelation, to draw near to you. I just declare that as you sleep tonight and tomorrow, that the Holy Spirit's presence would just hover over you and continue to do a work in your heart and life to birth Jesus in you to encourage you that you're sealed by his spirit to love on you to show you the heart of the father in Jesus name we love you guys Looking forward to seeing you next week at our Christmas Eve service. Hope you all are here. It's going to be a wonderful time. Brian will be back. Looking forward to that too. So God bless you all. Have a great night. We'll see ya.